Thank you. Um, once again, uh, let's have God's Word open us up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Thus said the Lord, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, now I am forced to be funny. It's great to be with you, Eternal Life, and thank you, Pastor Stephen, for your warm welcome. It's my joy to open up the Word of God with you this morning. As Pastor Stephen introduced me, uh, my name is Jin, and I serve as one of the senior pastors at Shelton, particularly overseeing our preaching ministry as well as worship services. And we as a church are well aware of your involvement in our food pantry. Our food pantry director, when I mentioned that I am preaching at Eternal Life this coming week, she was like, we know them. They are so faithful. So thank you for praying for us weekly. And as your vision statement says, it is our honor and joy to partner with you to see really kingdom of God come into our homes and families and into our community and into our world. So it's my joy that I get to be here opening up the Word of God this morning. I know this past week, Pastor Stephen walked you through the series on kingdom vision. How does the kingdom of God really transform last week our marriage? We talked about that. And today, as a follow-up sermon from that, we want to do a little follow-up sermon, little excursus, then the question we want to ask today is then, then what hinders us to really see kingdom of God transforming our families, our church families, our workplace? What really hinders us to see this kingdom of God come to fruition in our life? That's the question that we very much want to ask this morning 
based on the follow-up chapter from Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6 passage that we just read. I know lives can be so busy time to time. I know we got so many worries and anxiousness in our lives. But I do pray that the Word of God will work mightily in our lives, in our hearts, changing us so that we move from complacency, this reluctance, obedience to truly joyful surrender as we dive in and feast in this glorious Word of God. So today in Ephesians 6, this passage that we are about to look at today is talking a lot about spiritual warfare, how that actually hinders us to see kingdom of God come to fruition. I hope and pray that we take this seriously and see what the Lord has for us today. So now, Stephen read it for us, but see how this section begins in verse 10. It begins by saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, when we talk about this section, I want to give you two brief outlines. Is the first we will talk when we talk about spiritual warfare that hinders us to achieve this Christian unity, kingdom vision. There's first we will acknowledge that there is the reality of unseen reality. And second, we will talk about the weapons against the spiritual warfare. So, first, we will talk about the reality of unseen reality. And second, we will talk about the weapons to fight against this spiritual warfare. And notice how Paul begins this section by saying, finally. Now, if you really want to understand what Paul is saying here, let me give you a brief background of how the book of Ephesians is structured. Book of Ephesians, the total six chapter, and first three chapters of book of Ephesians is all about, in a sense, foundational truth about who we are in Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he really tore down the veil, and there's no longer Jews and Gentiles. We are one in, Christ, one in Christ. Book of Ephesians is all about Christian unity, church unity, because of what Christ has done. So first three chapters, Paul will lay out this foundational truth. And then last three chapters, 4 through 6, which you looked at chapter 5, it's all about practical truth. How does this glorious truth, foundational message about what Jesus Christ has done, translates into how does this kingdom vision translate into our church family church unity about family unity between husband and wife between about your parenting about your workplace how does the truth actually translate into so he talks a lot about domestic affairs of our life chapter four and five and then all of a sudden chapter six that we are looking at this is the very last message that paul has before he gives out his final greeting. Very last message, he says, finally. You think, okay, he's been talking about marriage, family, church unity. So it seems to make sense that, okay, so do your best to keep all that. But all of a sudden, what does Paul do? Verse 12, when you look at it, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And he says, we are fighting against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. I'm thinking, whoa, wait a second. You just talked about domestic affairs, family, parenting, church unity. And then from domestic affairs, all of a sudden he went to cosmic warfare. He went to spiritual forces of darkness. 
I mean, Paul is pulling Star Wars on us. What, if it makes sense to me much more if Paul begins this section by saying, not finally, but on the other side. But Paul is dead serious. It's the connected thought in Paul's mind that, hey, in your what hinders you as you conduct your domestic affairs of your marriage, of your church unity, what hinders you from achieving this church unity, what hinders you from truly seeing the kingdom of God come into your family to transform that, it's not, your enemy is not your church members, your enemy is not your spouses, your enemies are not your boss at your work, but your true enemies are powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, Paul says. So Paul just moved from domestic affairs to spiritual warfare. And when we talk about spiritual warfare, oftentimes I think we run to two polar opposite extremes. For some of you, you either imagine um, Hollywood horror movie, spiritual darkness, well, foams in mouths, back arched backward running downstairs as much as i love movies one movie i cannot handle is horror movie or you think you know korean horror movie it's like witch with black hair white dress blood in her mouth that's all we imagine or zombie perhaps that's one extreme another extreme and we hear spiritual warfare we imagine on the other side who are we we live in 21st century modernity late modernity, post-modernity, however you want to categorize yourself. And then modernity really glorifies as a posterity of enlightenment. We glorify human rationale. It has to be provable. It has to be quantifiable. It has to be measurable. So when we hear spiritual warfare that is unseen, unprovable, we dismiss it. So oftentimes when we hear spiritual warfare, you either go to that Fomjin mouse or a Korean ghost, or you completely dismiss it. Is that what spiritual warfare really is all about? Let me speak to each camp how we often misunderstand what spiritual warfare is all about. Let me speak to some of you who tend to dismiss it. That doesn't make sense, Jane. Those are unseen. Those spiritual warfare doesn't really exist. Well, let me challenge your notion of thought today. I mean, I hope and pray that you believe in God. And I hope and pray that you believe that heaven is real. Not because of that little booklet, but because Bible says so. But if you really believe that God is real, Jesus Christ really came and lived, you can't quite prove that God is real. It's not measurable. You cannot quite prove that heaven exists. It's a faith that you believe But if you really believe that God exists and that heaven and hell is real, why don't you also believe that the forces that work against this kingdom of God to come to fruition is just as real? Even though those aren't quite provable, those don't quite make sense, rationally speaking, that often glorifies our human rationale. For positive or negative reality, unseen reality is a real thing. I don't even know how many times I have spoken with missionaries that especially work in Muslim culture. And I don't even know how many times I've heard stories that there are so many cases that these people dream about a man who was hanged on a tree. 
And they come to Christian missionaries to find out, who was that man that I saw in a dream? How can you explain that? Those are supernatural phenomena that we cannot quite explain. This enlightenment, modern rationale cannot make sense that. Even the science that is quantifiable, measurable, begins from the assumption. Then why don't we believe that the spiritual darkness is also a real thing? Let me put it this way. Perhaps some of you are in medical field, perhaps. I mean, it makes sense that, right? If you eat junk food, lots of sugar, it will affect bad sickness in your body. I think it's very measurable, right? Bad nutrition goes in. As a result, body becomes pretty sick. But at the same time, I think you would also believe that stress is one of the number one cause of sickness, isn't it? Broken heart syndrome is a real thing. And stress leads to anxiety, anxiety leads to isolation, isolation leads to depression, loneliness is pandemic nowadays. Um, It's a real thing that causes us physically sick as well. But those stress isn't quite quantifiable, but you believe that it is a real thing. Now, as Pastor Stephen introduced me, I was born and raised in Korea, and I went to Korea boarding school in South Korea, my high school. I came here as a senior in high school, but I went to prep school. Maybe some of you guys were second gen, some of you came from Korea, but the college entrance exam is brutal back there. So in my high school years, you second year, third year, you just study nonstop. So first year of high school, it's the biggest field trip for your high school career. So they are asking, hey, where do you want to go? I was like, oh, I would like to go to Japan. I've never been there. So like hundreds of us went to Japan. We went to the southern port of Korea, took the overnight ferry, and in the morning we landed in Japan, this land of nowhere. I can't actually even remember it wasn't any major city, one of the southern parts of Japan. It was one of my favorite trips. I loved it. Japan was beautiful. But that's not what I remember the most. Even in my freshman of a high school young mind, what really impressed upon my heart, as soon as I landed, we were walking through the streets, and I'm thinking, whoa, this is dark. I mean, there are literal massive cat shrine, this literal demon sculpture all throughout the street, all like red and very strong color. I remember thinking, walking through this street, I'm like, whoa, I cannot quite explain it. But even in my young mind, this is a dark place spiritually. I remember that to this day, a couple decades later. See, if you study the history of Japan and just the people and group in Japan, Japanese are second most unreached people group in the entire world. There's less than 1% of Christianity, less than 0.3% of gospel-believing evangelicals. It's a dark, dark place. But actually, at one point in Japan's history, Christianity really blossomed. Like Jesuit missionaries went in to spread the gospel. But government really shut down. Persecution was so severe. I mean, the persecution is not a new thing for Christianity. The Roman Empire did that, Soviet Union, even North Korea, China, all over persecution is a real thing. But Japan's persecution was so severe that even five centuries later, they were so traumatized by this persecution that they were known as hidden Christians. 
they didn't quite dare to say because it was that severe and traumatic event. In fact, when you read a book written in 1966 by, written by Japanese author Sushako Endo, in his book Silence, it's the theological and historical fiction about what took place in Japan. It was made into movie in 2016 by Martin Scorsese featuring Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield. It's about a story how these Jesuit missionaries went to spread gospel in Japan and end up becoming an apostate. Very dark movie, but that movie really well explains the spiritual darkness that happens in Japan. So now, if you're one of those who really dismiss, those spiritual warfare don't really exist, Jin. Come on, give me a break. Those are really provable. Well, think twice. Those are what hinders us from achieving this Christian unity, kingdom vision come to fruition, isn't per se you're someone who's sitting in front of you or behind you who might have different opinion than you. It, it is the spiritual darkness that is at work in us, even through us, all over us. Now, having addressed that, now let me speak to those, some of you, when we talk about spiritual warfare and darkness, all you think about is perhaps, yeah, those witch or those zombie or those horror movies. Now, when we think about spiritual darkness, that's all we can imagine. But what does Paul say in verse 11? Look at verse 11. What does Paul say? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The skins of the devil. In scripture, devil and Satan really means accuser, prosecutor, adversity. And it's, they, it says that they have schemed, which means their craftiness, their shrewdness. Devil often doesn't really come in as this such, yes, it can come, it does come in extreme format. But oftentimes, more than that, devil often comes in very shrewd way their spiritual warfare by their scheme marrying into our fleshly desire. So when you look at Garden of Eden account, devil in the form of serpent does not come to Eve and says, let's lead rebellion against God. It's time for coup. No. Yeah, serpent says, hey, you will be wise if you take this fruit. You will get to know what is good and what is wrong. I would want that too. Do you see how shrewd evil works oftentimes? It's oftentimes they are much more shrewd than you and I can imagine. It's much more shrewd, subtle. Now, let me be provocative here at church a little bit today. Please, this is, don't raise your hand or answer out loud. But let me ask you a question. Gentlemen, how many times have you looked or have you indulged on the things on the Internet that you shouldn't while your wife is watching right next to you. I think you'll be saying, that's terrible, but Jin, come on, I would never do that. That's horrible. I believe you. Now let me open it up. Another rhetorical question, don't answer. Ladies and gentlemen, let's open to all of you here this time. How many times have you indulged in lustful thought or the thoughts of bitterness, gossip against somebody in your private, by yourself, or just behind the back. I think many of you will answer, say, oh, yeah, I have. But at the same time, Jin, come on, you cannot compare those two. The first one is way too public, it has great consequence. But this second category you mentioned, everyone does that. Who doesn't? We all have done it. It's, it's not that big deal. 
Exactly. That's exactly how devils want you to think. You think somehow this audacity, this massive sin that is in public, that is a sin is unacceptable. But you think this kind of respectable sins, this kind of small sin is just totally okay. No, it's not. Devil can use that little slippery slope to raise really spiritual warfare in your life to really hinder you from seeing the kingdom of God come to fruition in your own life. Do you see how subtle that is? If you really want to see how devil it works in our lives, look no further than the work of C.S. Lewis in his masterpiece, Screwtape Letter. A Screwtape Letter is a satire. It's, it's satire of, it's like, Senior Devil's Training Book Instruction Manual for Junior Devil. Senior Devil's Talking Junior Devil. It, this is how you can tempt and lure believers away from God. So from their enemy. The devil's enemy is God. So listen how Senior Devil talks to Junior Devil in his book, Tape Letter. This is Senior Devil speaking. Speaking to Junior Devil. Hey, like all young tempters, Junior... You are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness from men. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Indeed, The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestone, without signposts. Do you see how this senior devil and junior devil is talking? Hey, you don't have to come in this extreme magnitude of sin. Just gentle slope, just a little one slippery slope. It's the safest road to hell. Just tempt believers in most subtle way. Just provoke their fleshly desire just a little bit. You think it's okay to raise your voice in temper? Oh, it's everyone does that. If you always think you're right, I think the devil has hold over you. What if everyone in the church think they are right? Church will be completely divided all the time. The devil is very shrewd in his way and work and raise the spiritual warfare to hinder us to be really united as one church in Christ Jesus. What devil hates the most in our lives is to see this kingdom vision come to fruition in our family, in our singleness, in our career, in our church. Devil want you to think your enemies are your community group members. Devil want you to think that your enemies are the people who is in front of you, behind you, your leaders. Devil want you to think that your enemies are your own spouses when you have bitterness of thoughts. But enemies are not them. Your enemies are the spiritual forces of darkness that Paul says in verse 12, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So do you see that both camp is how reductionistic? If you're dismissal of spiritual warfare, I pray that you take it seriously. Even though those aren't quite measurable, it's a real thing. At the same time, the spiritual warfare darkness is in some most likely most dramatic format 
Spirit works in day-to-day life, even here right now. Devil wants you to not hear the word of God so that you can live your own life with your own fleshly desire. I pray that you recognize the reality of this unseen reality first. Then I got to raise the problem that Paul is doing. So it makes sense, right, church? That in one sense, I was like, Paul, you said finally put on the, be strong in the Lord in verse 11. I'm thinking, should be on the other side. No, it makes sense. Cosmic warfare, spiritual warfare is what hinders us from achieving this gospel vision in our lives. Devil is at work each day. We ought to fight against, Paul says. Then how, question is, how are we supposed to fight against this spiritual warfare? Now, here, second thing, we're talking about the weapons for spiritual warfare. See, every battle that you fight calls for a gear, right? If you're in a battle, I hear that nowadays, you know, push, you carry a briefcase, in a push of a button, you can launch a nuclear. And in front of a keyboard, you can attack entire country, cyber attack. Uh, but this warfare, it's not necessarily physical warfare. It's a spiritual warfare that even the best technology is useless. So what is Paul's exhortation for us in verse 11 and verse 13? Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. He says, he, Paul does not say put on the armor, but he says what? Put on the armor of God. What is Paul implying? Against spiritual powers of darkness, your own smartness, your own shrewdness, your own willpower, pulling yourself up by bootstrap, just will not cut it. Because your enemies are not <laughs> this world, but it's against the spiritual darkness. So Paul's exhortation is put on the armor of God. Now, what is interesting about what Paul is saying here, if you look at verse 14 through 17, so he gives Paul being imprisoned, seeing Roman soldier day in and day out. Perhaps this imagery is inspired by seeing the Roman soldier every day. But Paul is not writing this letter to non-believers, but he's writing this to believers. I mean, look at what he's saying. Verse 14, we are belt of truth. 13, breastplate of righteousness. 15, shoe with the gospel of peace. 16, shield of faith. Verse 17, helmet of salvation. 17, sword of the spirit. Interesting is they already have it. Uh, They already have shield of faith. They believe in Jesus Christ, what he has done. Helmet of salvation, verse 17. They already have salvation because they trusted in Jesus. Sword of the Spirit, verse 17. Already indwelling Spirit is with them and they're trusted. Gospel of peace, verse 15. They already have peace with God now. Breastplate of righteousness. Imputed righteousness is in them when you trusted in Jesus Christ. Then why is Paul saying that? Just put this armor of God when they actually already have this armor of God. Now, in order to really explain this, let me go back to what I said at the introduction, how the book of Ephesians is structured. I said the first three chapters, Ephesians, more foundational truth about who we are in Christ Jesus. In the second half of 4 through 6, it's much more practicality, how you apply this foundational truth. But each time Paul ends section 1, 1 through 3, and section 2, Paul ends in prayer. 
But when you look at chapter 3 as you pivot to practice, to apply in practice, this is how Paul ends in chapter 3, 17 through 19. Half after laying down all this truth, this is what Paul says in chapter 3, 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is breath, what is length, what is height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpassed knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you know what Paul is saying there? It's not good enough for you to just know intellectually how good Jesus is, what he has done, but you must know it to the core of your heart. How wide, how infinite, how wide, how deep is his love to your heart level? What good is it to just know intellectually that God is good, Jesus died for you, when your heart just dead cold, Jesus died for me, thank you very much, let me live my life. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Apply that to deep down to your heart, to the core of your heart. Likewise, as Paul ends this second half, four and five, after laying down Christian unity, family, parenting, work, Paul is saying, what good is it if you have armor of God, but do not put it on, actually. What good is to have this armor of God? These are Christians who already have this armor. But what good is it if you don't put it on? What Paul is saying is this gospel truth must not just remain intellectual, but must be operational, functional in your life day to day. Church, you cannot fight this spiritual battle with your own wit. You have the armor of God, but you put it in the closet, you go out, battle stripped and naked, you will be killed at one strike. What good is this armor of God unless you put it on? So Paul's exhortation in verse 11 and 13, once again, what does he say? Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So you know, if you're a believing person in Christ Jesus, what he has done, you have the armor of God. But what good is it, eternal life, if you don't put the armor of God on daily? You will be defeated every day against the shrewdness of Satan, the evil one. They constantly want to divide his church. Constantly they want to divide and separate your marriage. Constantly wants to cause friction in your family and workplace. What activates the gospel truth in our lives is by putting on this armor of God daily, whether it be indulging, really marinating yourself to the truth of the scripture, whether it be prayer life. Do whatever it takes to let the truth that you know melt down to the functional level. But oftentimes we don't do that. Do we, church? We get so distracted by many things. That's the last thing we think about to exercise regular spiritual discipline, right? We don't even think about it. We put spiritual armor of God in the closet and go about our day without putting it on. If, let me put it this way. Um, let me use very measurable, quantifiable language. What good is $10 million in your bank account if you completely forget that you have $10 million rest of your life in your bank account? You don't get to live out its privilege because you forgot about it. 
Likewise, what good is the armor of God if you don't put it on? So Paul is saying, put this armor of God on. Activate this gospel truth. Because devil does not want you to put on the armor of God. Once again, this is a screw tape letter. Two demons are talking here. This is what demons are saying, screw tape letter. C.S. Lewis in screw tape letter says, It is funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their mind. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. What devil wants you to do is to forget about this glorious truth and just go about your day mindless, numbingly, without activating gospel truth. But by putting on this armor of God daily, you get to activate gospel privileges and you create new habits of your heart. You begin to form new muscle memory of your heart, new disposition of your soul as you marinate yourselves into the truth of the scripture. Not to just get something out of it, just say, check, I've done Bible reading. No, just be in the presence of God. There may be days that you get nothing out of it. We don't pray just to impose our agenda on God, but to surrender our will before the Father. God, I sit at your presence. Speak to me. Unless you activate this gospel privilege, unless you're putting on the armor of God, you will be defeated every day against the spiritual darkness. So, all that to say, church, I pray that you do get to the regular discipline, whether it be the word or prayer. But for you now, personally, what takes your heart? I want to ask that. What really makes you feel like it boosts your affection for the Lord when you do it? Perhaps for some of you, mm, when you walk in the nature, you feel the love of God. Do it by all means. Perhaps for some of you, what activates this armor of God is talking to your best friend. Call them up today. Take them out for coffee. Perhaps for some of you, you just really need some silence. (laughs) Tell your husband and wife, go to solitude. It's not a selfish thing. You must put on the armor of God. Perhaps some of you are really tired. (laughs) Take a nap for the glory of God. Sometimes that is the best thing you can do. It's not a selfish thing. For me, I feel like, um, like Eric Little in 1982 film, a church of fire. Do you remember the beach scene? Maybe some of you have seen that. Dun, 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 dun. The slow running scene. And my favorite line in the movie is Eric Little saying, he's an Olympic runner, gold medalist, also became missionary in China down the road. But he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. For me, when I swim, when I work out, I feel God's pleasure. So I go to gym. I work out because it just allows me to really reset myself. What is that for you? Do it. And what hinders you also from activating this armor of God, putting it on? Perhaps you're really distracted by yourself on first thing in the morning. Maybe last thing at night, you just go through mindless numbing of that cell phone, perhaps. If that's the case, put that away so that you can put the cell phone away so that you can put on the armor of God. What is that for you today, eternal life? Put on the armor of God because apart from that, you and I will be defeated every day. Lastly then, if you just don't know where to begin today, but I I don't know where to begin, look how Paul ends this glorious letter, 18 through 20. Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all power and supplication, to that end, 
keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Church, here Paul ends this glorious letter by praying. If you just don't know where to begin, your battle begins on your knee. Will you just go before the Lord in prayer? Even our God, Lord and Savior, when he was crucified day before, he prays at the garden, Father, this is too much. Let this cup pass away from me. He prays in his most vulnerable moment against the cosmic warfare that was about to come on his shoulder and on the cross of Jesus Christ when the cosmic sins were laid upon his shoulder for our iniquities and our sin. Jesus still talks to the Father in prayer. Even in his betrayal, even when he descended to hell, it's like, God, why have you forsaken me? Children, if our mighty God, in his weakness, in the humility of the cross, prays in his vulnerable moment, eternal life, how much do you need to pray today? I do. You do. Because evil is at work every day to destroy us, destroy our church unity, our family, our life before the Lord. Let us pray before the Father, asking, God, I need to activate this gospel truth. Please allow me to put on the armor of God every day. I pray that we will become a people of God who put on this armor of God every day, raising against the battles of this spiritual darkness. Now, let's pray. I want to give you a moment to reflect. As you pray, really think about it. God, first, I pray that you repent before the Lord. God, rather than putting on the armor of God, I have put on my fleshly desire. Well, Lord, will you forgive? And as you repent, I hope you pray in silence. God, what is it for me that I get to activate this gospel privilege? What is it for me that I get to put on this armor of God? What is that? Let's pray in silence, and in a moment, I'll close our time in prayer. Oh God, we pray today. God, forgive us that we often thought our enemies are our friends, the people that we have beef against. We caricature them, we demonize them, 
we make them one dimensional being as if we are always right they are wrong but God we realize that our enemies are not them those who might have different opinion than us in our church body they are not our enemies but our true enemies are those Satan and the evil one who is at work to destroy this church unity so oh God today I pray that you cause us to humble ourselves Uh, knowing that we have given ourselves to the slippery slope, the schemes of the evil one, how subtle they are. And God, as we repent, as we humble ourselves, I pray that we put on the armor of God daily, this glorious truth that we have, so that we can preserve our Christian unity, so that we can love one another well, we can serve one another well, all because we are motivated by the gospel truth and love shown at the cross of Jesus Christ. So, O oh God, may the love of Jesus Christ at the cross compel us to humble us. And because you have defeated cosmic evil at the cross, now in our cosmic warfare, we are victorious. Victory has been already won. May that hope truly penetrate into our heart today. so that we can be hopeful people of God living for you every day for your glory. In your precious name we pray, amen.